You're listening to the Converging Paths podcast, brought to you by Barakat Trust, with the support of the Altajir Trust and the Aga Khan Trust for Culture. Hello, everyone. This is Sefer Rashidi, and I'm very happy to welcome you to the Converging Paths podcast and to welcome back Dr. Ulrika Alhamis, who's the CEO and director of the Aga Khan Museum in Toronto. Thank you, Ulrika, for making the time for us again. And today, we're going to talk to you about your new exhibition, Image, the Power of the Visual, which is a fascinating title. And so I wondered if you could tell us just a little bit about how the idea of the exhibition came about and what it's about. Thank you so much for having me, Safe. Happily, this exhibition has been in the works for quite some time. It was uh, curated by Dr. Marika Sada originally. And the whole idea was to actually find a subject matter that is of interest not only to Muslim civilizations, but also to us all uh, across time and space. Because if you think about the proliferation of images and the way in which we nowadays are inundated with images on our iPhones, in the media, all around us, we have forgotten to reflect the meaning and the power of these images and the perceptions or indeed misperceptions that these images are helping to create in our minds but that we also might be contributing to creating opinions and perceptions in other people's minds. Because the notion of using images to project topics that are important to uh, societies is not exclusive to Muslim societies. You find it in other cultures and societies across the world and across time and space. So we really wanted to explore a formula where we are taking material culture and artworks from the Muslim world to explore issues that are ultimately universal, instincts that are ultimately universal. So uh, is all of your exhibition about images from the Muslim world, or does it include other cultures as well? No, we are using uh, largely objects from a wide range of Muslim cultures and conceptualize them as springboards for broader consideration and for broader thought-provoking conversations. The exhibition is actually started by a work by a Montreal-based Canadian artist called Roberto Pellegrinuzzi. And it includes some 750,000 images that are suspended in a big cloud of images from the ceiling. And that conglomeration of images signifies the lifetime of a smartphone. That is the average number of images that a smartphone can take. And it sets the the scene for our considerations in that it reminds us again of how much we are inundated with images all the time. And how, of course, theoretically, you could walk up to this installation and look at every single individual image to contemplate who took it, what does it mean, what does it want to tell us, etc. 
But of course, there's no way anybody does that. Everybody just looks at the overall cloud. And that is exactly the point. So we, uh, there's an onslaught of images that we digest every single day and that we also create. And we no longer take the time or have the patience um, to engage with these images and to reflect their power and their meaning. And of course, the exhibition is called image question mark, the power of the visual. And the question mark is there for a purpose because image, the word image has two meanings. Image on the one hand means, of course, picture, depiction, but it's also the image, the perception that these images create and that we receive through these images. And they help to build, of course, also stereotypes and misconceptions that then um, fracture societies and and cause uh, problems between communities. And can you tell me a bit about the sub-themes of the exhibition? What, What specifically does it actually tackle? Absolutely. So we looked at three, four um, different topics that we thought have departure points for universal contemplation. So we have image and power. How do we visualize power? We have a section on image and spirituality because, of course, images are used to uh, serve as conduits for communing with the divine in, in many different ways. Then we have um, image and ideas and ideas because how do you take an abstract idea or a poetic notion or a literary image that is created in words and visualize it. And in Arabic, you know, we have this beautiful yin yang, qira al-lawha, and taswir uh, al-lugha. And this is what comes out in, in that section. And then the final section really talks about image and identity. How do you visualize an individual's, a community's, a nation's self-understanding of identity? How does that work? And of course, again, here you can have paintings that visualize and materialize philosophical notions around what a nation looks like at a particular time and in a particular space, in a particular context. Or you can come to a very individual exploration. We have several contemporary artists in the exhibition of what identity we actually want to project. And of course, when we contemplate our individual identities, they are actually very, very complex stratigraphic realities because we are never only one thing. We are so many, many different things. And um, among those stratigraphies are great areas of potential where we can connect with other people across time and space and with other cultures, other religions, other ethnicities and so on. Because a mother is a mother is a mother is a mother. You know, an engineer is an engineer is an engineer. It's We are not only 
what defines us in terms of nation or in terms of race or in terms of religion or language. There are many more elements that we incorporate in, in our being. So all this is uh, explored in the exhibition and the exhibition culminates in a wonderful new commission by the Pakistani artist Rashid Rana, who actually did a call out for selfies and uses, again, thousands of selfies to then, out of that, create phenomenally a, a sepia, black and white, large-scale, triple self-portrait of one of the French pioneers of photography and camera. So when you approach from afar, you see this 19th century triple portrait of a gentleman standing in three different poses against a chair. But when you come close up, you see all the colored selfies that make up this uh, work. And Rashid Rana's message with this is that since the invention of the camera and thereby the possibility for individuals to project their own identity in visual form, humanity has been desperate to communicate through images and ultimately, of course, also to connect because when you create an image of yourself, you want to communicate something and you want to connect. And in our age where we do this incessantly all the time, sel sending selfies of ourselves, often without uh, second thought into the ether, into the wider world, um, what are we doing? What are we contributing to? What are people thinking of us? What image are you are we building of ourselves without possibly being aware of of that? Um, so he's making a very, very important point uh, for people to take away from the exhibition as they walk out. Thank you. I wondered actually, given that you told us about one piece that's really fascinating, could you give us an example of other works that uh, speak to the, the themes that you mentioned, power, spirituality, ideas and identity that you find particularly fascinating or captivating? There are so many objects and every object tells a different story. I think what fascinates me most all over is the interconnection between intangible and tangible. What I mean by that is that, um, you know, many traditional cultures, not only Muslim cultures, actually consider um, intangible art as the most sublime art forms. You know, whether that is po poetry or storytelling or literature and Western perception often focus exclusively on the materiality of art. So you have a miniature painting in the case and you look at this physical artwork. But what actually happens in, uh, in, in, for example, the identity and ideal section is that you have a literary work or a poetic work or even a poetic slash spiritual work that is often not necessarily read uh, in isolation, but is recited in a circle of highly literate, highly intellectually sophisticated individuals. And when they come to a miniature painting in that work, 
the miniature painting is actually very carefully designed by the artists who themselves are polymaths and intellects to serve as springboard for the creation of new poetic and literary art. So people would have ad-libbed new poetry around the miniature painting. They would have perhaps made comparisons between the contemporary ruler at the time and the ancient heroes that you see in the miniature paintings. There would have been quizzes hidden in some of these miniature paintings that only those who had the most sophisticated grasp of a language like Arabic or Farsi um, to unlock the secrets of these uh, 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 puzzles that are hidden in, in the picture. So imagine you have um, an engagement with art where the intangible images that the text suggests and the poetry suggests and that live in your imagination as this text is um, recited and presented that then manifests on the page in, in the miniature painting but in a way to empower and enable the creation of new intangible words, new intangible art of the word that springs off the page. So it's actually a very, very fascinating way of thinking about the interaction between what we see, what is material, and the intangible dimension and potential of these material artworks. Thanks. That's a really interesting way of looking at, at objects and thinking about them as inspiration. And I wondered if you could give me an example of one of the objects that speaks to the idea of um, the image and power. Yeah, we have a wide range of artworks that um, reference different ways of projecting power. So, for example, when you look at the Mamluks, they have a visual language that is, of course, not figural and uses calligraphy to project their titles of office as well as early forms of logos. And these appear on architecture, they appear on material culture, whether that is mosque lamps or that is candlesticks. And this type of calligraphy that is used is exactly the same type of calligraphy, tholos, that was the preferred style for monumental Qurans that the Mamluks also commissioned during their reign. And the visual psychology that is implied here is that they, of course, wanted to position themselves as legitimate rulers within the uh, Muslim world as defenders of the faith and, of course, successful defenders of the faith, given that they expelled both the Crusaders and the Mongols. So here calligraphy becomes their main visual language and everyone at the time would have made the connection between their power and their uh, claim to legitimacy through their close alignment with defending the faith. And then you have the Ottomans, for example, who have a very fascinating, uh, at least by pronged approach to speak high level, where they were able to adjust their visual language towards 
their Western peers and foes using portraits, uh, using commemorative medals, speaking a visual language that would have been familiar to the rulers of the Renaissance West at the time. But when they want to communicate towards their Eastern peers and foes into the Eastern Islamic world, across the Near East and North Africa and so on, they adhered to more text-based and again, miniature-based approaches that tied in with an ideal of leadership that ultimately also took a lot of inspiration from the uh, Persianate world. So they think of who their audiences are and they and the language that they use to express it in an object is based on who the audience and what they'll what they'll understand and comprehend better. Yeah, there was definitely an awareness of that. And finally, with respect to the idea of identity, can you give an example that from the exhibition that you think is a very good example of how an image represents identity? There's a beautiful panel, and I would say that is definitely one of my favorites, a wooden a carved panel, long elongated dark wood panel. I think it's teak wood and it's carved by one of the famous modern Iraqi sculptures, Muhammad Ghani Hikmet. And it's read from right to left and shows scenes in a typical Baghdadi tea house. So you see the, the tea cellar with the samovar and the little istikans, the little glass uh, vessels in which the tea is served. You see a couple um, of gentlemen playing uh, backgammon. You see a young and an old man negotiating something. You see someone having his shoes cleaned. So as you go along the panel and you read it literally and metaphorically from right to left, you see all these typical scenes of society in uh, 50s, 60s uh, Baghdad. And the approach that the artist took with this panel was on the one hand referencing very proudly the ancient Mesopotamian legacy of Iraqi art and, of course, the monumental reliefs that you have from the Babylonian, Assyrian, etc. civilizations, but then also making subtle comment on the traditions and the goings-on in Baghdadi society at the time. And when you stand in front of this um, panel and you kind of know the reality, you can literally hear this panel as well as read it. So um, that is one example where an artist is trying to encapsulate artistically, philosophically, socially, the essence of what Baghdadi society with all its good and its bad uh, manifestations, because there are some cheeky references in there as well, would have stood for at a point in time when the country was, you know, emerging, growing, had a lot of hope and aspirations. Thank you. And I, I wonder, actually, in your exhibition, which starts, I suppose, with early objects and ends with contemporary commissions and, and other modern work, do you find a consistency? I mean, are these themes that you've identified consistent across time? Do you think that they're true of Muslim civilizations across time and other civilizations across time? Or do you find that they change or, I mean, some become more prominent than others 
as time goes on? Well, you know, actually, we do have contemporary pieces in every section because we wanted to make the point that exactly these kind of um, instincts that we are hinting at in the exhibition fundamentally remain the same. I mean, today we still have images of power. We still visualize power. We still try to visualize our spirituality in many different ways. We try to visualize our an identity. As such, this never stopped. It's still ongoing. It's just the way that we might do it nowadays is obviously adjusted to our respective circumstances. So where in the past you might have had a ruler on a horse, now you have the ruler coming out of a Bentley or a Rolls Royce or a Chevrolet. But the imagery and the symbolism that underlies um, these kind of images hasn't changed so very much. Thanks. And I wondered, actually, do you think that there's a distinct way in which the Islamic world, in its larger sense, uses the, the image or draws upon the image? Or is it similar to all other societies? Every every um, image is created within its specific context, be that social, political, cultural, religious, right? So it's you can never generalize because by generalizing, you can then miss very important messages that uh, you want to take in. And again, the whole idea of the exhibition at the highest level is really to use the artworks to make people stop and contemplate and analyze a little bit and reflect on how the images we are so surrounded with nowadays work today. And it's really important because one of the points, um, general points that we are trying to make is we don't stop and stare anymore. We are so busy and we flick through our iPhones. Um, I can't remember. I think the other day I read a statistic that on average we flick through our smartphone 600 times a day. So while we do that, messages reach our brain but we we are no longer aware what they are and we ne we no longer analyze in how far um they are conveying the right message or whether they want to influence us or what 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 are they saying so we are really trying and you know the artworks we have are very diverse are very beautiful and sophisticated we are hoping that visitors will stop and stare and reflect and think well yes actually this is still like this to that day and why is it like this in my context what you know ask more questions deep, deep dive a little bit more take a little bit more time to reflect um so that's that's what we were hoping to do and what kind of responses have you got from visitors is there anything that particularly stands out to you as being surprising perhaps that you might not have expected i think people are just fascinated by how much they can connect to objects that culturally might be not immediately familiar to them so that is a wonderful thing and um, it's also on many occasions we've had schools of newcomers 
that came and were really touched and happy that they found themselves in this exhibition through the um, representative objects that that we have in there because objects can do a lot of different things you know they not only represent bigger topics that we can all relate to but within specific cultural contexts of course they can also create connection they can create conversation in that when you and I look at the same object, we do not see the same thing, right? Um, because we come at that artwork from our specific backgrounds and we associate different things with it. Yes, of course, there's also an overlap, but it's where we see different things in the same thing we look at that we can actually augment each other's experience and start a conversation that then also can lead to um, augmented human connection, intercultural understanding and appreciation. And of course, that is something what the museum is all about um, as our daily bread. Mm -hmm. And is there any particular object that you think represents you or you felt a specific connection to your own identity? <laughs> that is a very beautiful question because um, my husband is Iraqi and my favorite object in that exhibition for that personal reason is the Iraqi panel I just told you about. And that is a beautiful uh, question also because it might be that my answer to this is quite unexpected given the fact that I'm German, right? So sometimes what we identify with strongly and emotionally might not necessarily be connected to our immediate context uh, or background at all, right? And that in itself then offers itself to very interesting conversations. Yeah, that's true. Sometimes we have emotional connections with the strangest bits of our lives that people might think, well, of all the things, why did you choose this one? Exactly, exactly. And I wondered, actually, I mean, often exhibitions, especially the most moving ones, challenge audiences. Do you think that, I mean, is there, are there specific things that challenge your audience in, in this wonderful exhibition? I think every single object, because of the way in which they are interpreted and the way in which they invite people to um, reflect beyond the familiar, and I think particularly, again, around the realization that when you have a material artwork, it is a reflection of a very sophisticated, intangible intellectual heritage and literary heritage and philosophical, spiritual heritage, um, because often people don't reflect this anymore with this um, preoccupation with the material. Well, if you were to say that there were, if you could only choose one object to represent the theme and the angle of the exhibition, which one would you choose apart from the Iraqi panel? <laughs> well, um, I think that the Pellegrinuzzi place at the start of the exhibition and the Rashidrana panel at the end really bracket everything perfectly and also take it from the um, Canadian and universal context to the um, 
Muslim cultures context. And that is important because many people do not realize that, of course, artistic uh, production, contemporary art, contemporary cultural discourse is alive and well across the Muslim world. There's often, you know, this perception that um, Islamic art, as it is called very uh, erroneously in academia, somehow fell into a big hole in the 18th century. And then really what that exhibition, I think, absolutely helps to allude at because it's wonderfully taken through uh, consistently in every section is that... um, artistic, intellectual, and cultural pursuit continued through the periods of history and is alive and well today. And of course, now people from the Muslim world, as we call it, are contributing all over the globe, you know, not only in their respective countries, but also, of course, um, everywhere else and again you know including Canada for our specific uh, context and um, so the visitors that come also get the sense that they are represented in this multiculturalism that comes through in the exhibition and there's one item I actually love very much which is not an artwork at all towards the end of the exhibition but it is a very smartly faceted mirror. So when you stand in front of it, it has little uh, rectangles of mirror that are angled in different ways, joined together in a collage kind of faceted way. Um, And when you stand in front of it, because the call to action is reflecting on myself and reflecting off myself. When you stand in front of this mirror, you will find that it is impossible to take a selfie. You have to choose one of the facets in order to get to capture a part of yourself at least. And the exercise is designed for people to realize that whenever we take a selfie, it only ever shows a facet of who we are. And we should think very carefully which facet we are choosing to show to the world. So I thought that was a very, very um, smart, smart addition. And I salute my my colleague from the exhibition department who actually uh, came up with that, Alessandra Cirelli, because it's a real value add and it really makes people think and and contemplate. And ultimately, you know, we want to um, make people reflect in different ways and go away with um, a transformative encounter and perhaps even a transformative conversation in mind. Well, it sounds like a great exhibition to have done that. And actually, do you think that this is the way of the future for you? I mean, is this your aspiration that every exhibition should be as transformative and as thought-provoking and as conversational as this one? Absolutely. 
And um, the idea is always as much as we can to start with the topic that is relevant and of interest and concern to our moment in time and to everyone and make it accessible, make it welcoming and using um, the arts of the Muslim world or of course also contemporary artists from that broader background to start the conversation. So we also do this at the moment in our permanent gallery where we are bringing together uh, artworks from, a, from the Muslim world with contemporary artworks and uh, Raj paintings from uh, Southern India done by uh, a couple of, of English sisters to contemplate birds the significance of birds and the peril that birds are living under because of climate change, because of conflict. And our um, uh, associate curator, Bita Purvash, has even now organized a bird watching tour, which starts in our um, park and in the nature around our museum and then comes into the gallery to continue the bird watching in the gallery. So that's one of those examples where you can also really then bring the objects to life and set them free to tell stories that, you know, everyone can uh, feel intrigued by, can feel engaged by that goes beyond academic specificities that are only ever of, of, of interest to a, a much more limited group of, of experts, perhaps, right? So this is the kind of approach we are hoping to increasingly take as we move forward. Sounds like a great approach. And I love the idea of setting objects free and linking to nature and beyond the walls of a museum. Yeah. Absolutely, absolutely. And, you know, we are, we've started taking photo exhibitions into our park as well, and then make connections whenever that is possible between the exhibition in the park and the exhibition in the, um, in the museum. So there's a lot of things we can do. And we are lucky as the Arkan Museum to be so empowered by, um, you know, by our mandate and mission to experiment with all these things because post-COVID, it's very crucial that museums have an open mind and really, really look at how they can serve their audiences, be of service to their audiences and meet their needs, you know, whether that is uh, educational or aesthetic or emotional. Well, thank you very much, Ulrika. As usual, you always give us so much food for thought you're always so inspiring to listen to and I look forward to future conversations. Thank you so much for having me, Seif. Thank you. Thank you.